Okay, I'm going to be sharing with you about a worldview analysis and how it can be used as a tool for effective community development and health programs. And it, it has a very broad application, and we are using it uh, for a program that we've developed and have been running for about two or three years now. Uh, we've gone through a whole process of refining it, and it's called the Total Health Village, or THV 504010. And if you come to the next session, which is tomorrow, we're going to more details on why is it called 504010. What's with those numbers? Okay? So let's have a look at holistic worldview analysis. Uh, I'll get back to this diagram later, but every community has a survival strategy. You'll hear me talk about survival strategies over and over again. A survival strategy is what a community does to survive. Okay? And when a community moves into an area... A survival strategy is established first if you go back to the history of any community and find out from them uh, how they got started. They'll tell you uh, our ancestors came to this place and they said, okay, from, from the side of those mountains to the side of that river to that road on this side, this whole part of it is going to be our village. And they did that. They made that selection in such a way that they could protect the boundaries. They could use the resources to earn a living. And that's, that's how it got started. Okay? So if you go to any village where you're working in any country, you'll find this as a background about that community. And the survival strategy has, and I used to talk about this a lot in the beginning, which is, Three basic components. First, a stock of resources. And the resources are land, water. It was always, you'll find communities living around water source. Place for them to stay, which was safe. Trees, because they needed firewood for their cooking. A place for the animals to graze. A place where they could grow their crops. So the Survival strategy has several components, the first one being a stock of resources. Now, I'm a little oriented towards finding things that are easy to remember, so all S over there. So, stock of resources. So, I've sometimes stretched it. I really want to say resources, but I'll say stock of resources. Okay? The second thing is you just have resources is not enough. You need people who can take that and use it for productive purposes. Just having land is not enough. You need someone to know how to till the land. You need to have people who can help make a plowshare. You need to make, have uh, ironsmith, blacksmiths to put the plowshare in there, and so on. And then people who know how, to, uh, how the crop is grown, how the seed is harvested, how, uh, you know, if there's a disease, what needs to be done. So... The second component, so it's just not only a stock of resources, but the second component gets added onto it, which is the skill base required to manage the stock of resources. Okay? So that's your second S. 
And then, how this is applied to this depends on a stakeholder's plan. Who are the stakeholders? They are the people who came to the village first. They are the initial, uh, the, the first migrants, the first people that came in, like the pioneers. And this stakeholder plan determines how the skills will be used to work with this resources. Okay? Is that clear? Now, when they planned initially, they planned for maybe two or three generations. I, my children, my children's children. It's as far as they could see into the future. So, most survival strategies work pretty well for about two generations. So, 40, 80, 60, 80 years. And after 80 years or so, it starts becoming shaky. And then they add the fourth component. When things, when no one can help them, they look to the supernatural. So till here, it was the empirical world. And then to this empirical world gets added the supernatural world. We'll come back to this later on. I wanted to show you this diagram so I don't forget. Okay, let's proceed. The worldview analysis is a snapshot of the community's current survival strategy, showing all its empirical and supernatural components. It is an essential tool for holistic development. Are you with me? Okay. Uh, are you okay with my accent? Okay. This is all I have. <laughs> Okay, here are some examples. This is what a worldview analysis looks like. This is from Ecuador, a village called Apatug, very close to Cotopaxi. If any of you are familiar with Ecuador? Okay. Very close to the Tungrahua uh, volcano. And the, this, is, this is from there. So you can see that. Now, we, in this case, we used the seeds, and we said, do you see these seeds, and we're going to put it out this way, and the, there were old people in that group, so we can't see the seeds. So we had to go out and get some oranges and put them there, lemons. Okay, here's an example from another place called Nuova Manasar in Honduras. And you see, it's a different profile. It's a worldview analysis, a snapshot of the survival strategy of the community. Here's an example from Indonesia. North Sumatra, little southwest of Banda Aceh, you know, where the tsunami hit the most. Around 200,000 people got killed. Uh, north, the southwest of that is a place called Tello, and this was, of course, in Nias Island. So, a worldview analysis being done. You can see that over there. What is the whole process? How is it done? A, it's a participatory process. It's built on relationships. It provides an opportunity for the community to engage deeply in what is being provided as information. And then once we interact with the community, sit around, 
we tell them what we are trying to do, explain our purpose. We start getting information which is general information. And when you're looking around for the, the, the documents and stuff, pulling it off the website, also look for something called the TST. The TST stands for, oops, does anyone know how I can just... Okay, just, just, so can someone keep, okay, okay, all right, okay. So, uh, we, we work with a group, we have multiple small groups, and are, are you familiar with FGD, Focused Group Discussions, okay? When you collect information in a participatory process, uh, there are two ways that you could do it. One is through focus groups, and you can also do it through KII, or Key Informant Interviews. Okay? Now, the risk with Key Informant Interviews are you get a lot of information, but it's about 20% information and 80% opinion, the person who's giving it their opinion. So it has a lot of bias in it. Whereas if you look at a focus group, the ideal size is 8 to 10 people, a mix of experiences, old and young, male and female, and have them sit around a piece of paper, okay, like a flip chart, and have them sit around close so that each one of them can touch the center of the sheet because that's where you keep the seeds. So when you look up the TST, the 10 seed technique, Download that. You get lots of examples. It's a 74 or 75-page document, which has a lot of examples of actual ones that have been used. So there's a lot of stuff from China. There's a lot of stuff from Cambodia in that. So you'll find a lot of documents that you can use. Once you've explained the purpose, then we move into the basic foundational exercises. Now, initially, we do things that they are familiar with, like, What's the ratio of male to female in your village? So you use 10 seeds, draw one face of a male and one female, and say if these 10 seeds represent total village, how would you divide it between male and female? You know, in some countries it could be male 3, female 7. In most of Africa it is 4, 6. And that automatically spills a whole lot of problems in that community. Okay? Sometimes the ratio is okay, but one particular group has moved out of the village. So you'll see a disbalance. Okay? So you start with things that are easy to do. You know, what's the ratio between men and women? What's the ratio? Uh, what are the different age groups? So you do simple exercises. Once you've done that and they're familiar with the methodology, then you do these three foundational exercises. You want, might want to write those down. The livelihood analysis, which is a snapshot to find out at this point of time in that community, how does the community get its income? Now, most places, the income is in two forms, cash and kind. So you'll have to say, suppose we convert it all into cash, then what's the source of this income. So that's a livelihood analysis. The second one is a problem analysis. Again, use the 10 seed with your focus group 
if these 10 seeds represent the total the problems that your village faces, then what are those problems? Just group the seeds. Don't write first. Blank sheet, let them group the seeds, then write what that is. And then the uncertainties. Now, this is a little more dicey than problems. People know what the problems are. But the uncertainties are also problems, but they may or may not occur on an annual cycle. That's the difference. A problem is a problem that will happen on an annual cycle. An uncertainty is a problem that may or may not happen on an annual cycle. Can you think of an example? Okay, rainy season drought is a problem because it's sure to happen on an annual cycle. But can you think of any other? Social unrest. unrest. Any other example? Tsunami. Tsunami. Okay. The the, uh, now, what's a hurricane in Haiti? It's It's pretty regular. Every passing hurricane takes a pot shot at Haiti before it comes to the U.S., okay? So, uh, but what about an earthquake? That's an uncertainty. It happened a year ago, but it still creates fear in the hearts of the people who are from Haiti because of, you know, what, what happened there. All right. So, this is a little more difficult, but it's, once you start doing it, you begin to understand. Okay, a couple of quick principles for us to remember. The 10-seed technique is a qualitative analysis technique. It's a participatory tool. It uses two very simple principles. The principle of optimal ignorance. Okay? You don't need to know everything about everything before doing something about something. Okay? The principle of optimal or optional ignorance. Okay? We also call it the principle of optimal ignorance. How much can you afford not to know before you can take a good, sound decision about something? And it's usually around 10%. Anything below 10% is not significant on the entire, okay? So you can afford to, to set it aside, not ignore it, but set it aside when you're taking your initial preliminary decisions, okay? Are you with me till now? Let's move on. When we do the worldview analysis, we go into a community And we work with the community's own resource persons. Now, those who worked in Kenya know that this is an accepted name. They keep talking about the corp. The corp is here, or the cops are here. And they really mean the community's own resource persons. This could be anybody. It could be a local teacher. It could be somebody else. And... Uh, people who care, who are from the community, and who have worked for the benefit of the community. Those are the people we look at to start our program. So those are the CORP, the community's own resource persons. And typically, 
a group of 10, 15, or a little more are sufficient. Okay? Now, here, here's this group working in Kenya. Once you've connected the, collected the information from a focus group, and we've, we are going to be doing several things about, uh, let's say, for healthcare, disease incidence, a ratio of children uh, who are in different age groups, whether they're going to school or not. We share this information back with the community. Now, this is an exercise called the Rapid Household Food Security Status Assessment. So you can actually find out uh, the food security status of a community. And this is, this is a very powerful exercise because at the end of it, you get this whole lot saying, you really understand us because they interact very, very closely on this. So once you've collected the information from focus groups, which are in different locations around the village, you come back in a general meeting like this and you share this information with the whole group. And people get a chance to do what is called triangulation. They give feedback. Okay, no, that's true. No, no, you put too many seeds for this problem or you put not enough for this. So they get the chance to correct that information. Okay? So that's called triangulation. Now here's an example from one of the villages. The place is called Kibabwani. It's a cluster of five villages. And it is on the eastern side of Kenya, very close to Mombasa, in a, in a district called Kailolini. And in Kailolini, there's a place called Moana Monga, which is the subdivision. And incidentally, Moana Monga means foreigner, go home. Okay? And in Moana Monga is this cluster of villages called Kibabuani. And we started a total health village there. And before we started, we did some basic information collection to find out what are the things. So we wanted to know their worldview and find out more details on that. So, oops. I don't know what I would have told you. <laughs> okay. So we start, here's, here's the livelihood analysis. So what we did was we took 10 seats and said if this 10 seed represents your total income in this village from every source, every household for the whole year, in cash and kind is 10 seats. Where did it come from? They said two seeds. 20% came from Vyashara, or business. This is Swahili. And 10% uh, came from agriculture, Kilimo. And 70% came from casual labor, Kibaru, Kibarua. Then in another group, in another location, they were working on finding out what are the problems in Kibabuani. So I took the 10 seats. So these 10 seeds represent all the problems that affect the whole village, not just the 8 or 10 of you who are sitting here. 
not just the village chief's household. No, we're talking of the whole village. And what they came up with were four problems, four types of problems. The first was afia, which is poor health. The second was ilimu, which is poor education. And then they said maji, and they put five seeds. Maji meant water. So he said, what type of water? They said, both drinking water as well as water for irrigation. So which is a bigger problem? They said both equally. So they put the seed here. Now, in the 10 seed technique, we ask people to choose where it fits in. So it's, it's not a box that's prepared in advance. It's just a blank sheet of paper where the seeds are grouped. I wish I could have shown this to you, but we don't have time. And then once they've decided what each of the group of seeds represent, then we write down. Okay? So you got the, you saw the livelihood analysis, and here's the problem analysis. And then we explained to them about the uncertainty analysis. And we said there are certain things that are like problems, but they don't happen on a yearly cycle. What are some of those? Let's take 10 seeds. This represents the uncertainties. What are they? They grouped it into three. The first one they said was mafariku, which was floods. The second they said was kipindu pindu, or cholera outbreaks. And the third was ukame, or drought. Now, it's interesting. Do you see this? This almost seems to contradict it. Can you have drought and floods in the same village? Yes. Okay. Now, for those who are operating on a system called rain-fed agriculture, which means you synchronize your agriculture crop according to the local weather plus also the rainfall. So when it rains, you plant some seeds. And then you wait for the next rain, which should come in seven days, because the rain starts off a little bit, then again a little bit, and then it gets higher, and then it goes to its peak. So in that stage, after the seedlings are ready, within seven days the rain should come. If it comes after 12 days instead of seven, as far as they're concerned, it's a drought, because those seedlings will be dead. Now, if you took a a weatherman with you, he would say there was no drought over here because overall in the whole year, the rainfall was the same. But if it comes at the wrong time or it fails to come at the right time, you're finished. Okay? In the same way, the rain should have come in seven days and stopped. But it continues for four days. What happens to the seedlings? They're all gone. It's a flood for them. Okay, so this is a reality on the ground, which is what you're assessing. Okay, so we've got these three. We've got the livelihood analysis, problem analysis, and you've got the uncertainty analysis. Now, we take this information, and we, again, feed back to the community. And once they have fed back, triangulated, agreed with the final outcome, we put it into a worldview analysis. That's what the worldview analysis looks. The same things. So you got, do you remember Afia, Ilimu, Maji? 
the problems, the livelihood, the three, and the uncertainty. All right? I won't go into too much details here. These three concentric circles represent first what the community controls, what they depend on outsiders for, and what is outside of their control. Do you remember what I said about the survival strategy? It has three components. Stock of resources, skill base. So this is the skill base where they depend on outsiders to come and help. Outsiders may be a school teacher who comes and lives. It could be a healthcare person. It could be a trader who comes. It could be somebody who employs labor. So those are added, and then there are some things which neither the community nor outsiders can handle, and it goes outside of their control. What the community does is hands that over to God's spirits, ancestors to do. That's how it emerges. We will look at that and explain it a little more clearly. Okay? So, when I look at a snapshot like this, say for it, uh, for the poor health, afia, disease, the ten seeds work this way. In order to overcome poor health, I'm giving you ten seeds again, how would you distribute it? How much do you control? How much do outsiders control? How much is outside of your control? What does this say? It's 50% out of their control. Okay? So, when you are drowning, in, in my country we say, ko tinka sahara. When you're drowning, you grab at a straw. You know it will not hold you up. But when you're drowning, you'll even grab at a straw. So, that's what happens here. It's when they get desperate and nothing happens, they're getting sick and not able to control it, people can get exploited. That's, that's where the Aganga or the village witch doctor and other people or the shaman take control of their lives. Let's move forward. That's a more clearly defined example of the same thing. That's one as it actually emerged. This is how it looks on a digital version of it. Why is it called a holistic worldview? How are the empirical and supernatural connected? Let's run through this a little bit. Here's our village again, the survival strategy. As I told you, usually last 60, 80 years, because they're planned for two generations. But when that time passes, this starts getting shaky the survival strategy. And then more and more of it goes outside of their control. When it goes outside of their control, they try their best to bring someone else. Let's see if anyone else can handle this skill. And then they find they can, there is nobody who can handle that. And then they go into the supernatural. So your survival strategy that started with stock of resources, skill base, stakeholders plan, gets a fourth S added to it, the supernatural. Okay? So, the empirical is the world within which they control by themselves, plus with outsiders. 
the world that goes outside is handed over to the supernatural. Now, that supernatural does not need to conform to any philosophical principles or nothing. If it works, it's God. That's the way they look at it. So, God is treated as a utility. Okay? As a utility. God is a utility. He works is God. I don't care. It works. That's why the Samaritan woman said to Jesus when he asked her for the water and that whole encounter, she asked him, are you greater than our ancestor, Jacob, who gave us this well? For her, that was supreme. Okay? So he provided. So when we are interacting with the community, you're talking about something that to them is as real as your relationship to Christ. And that's why they'll say, are you telling me to discard this, which has worked for me all these days? Okay, so that's, that's a basic thing to remember. Now, another interesting thing to remember is, as far as the community is controlled, this red dotted line is what they control, and outside is what they hand over to a god or spirit. As far as they're concerned, this is a seamless continuum. They're holistically integrated. But between the empirical and the supernatural, when you and I talk as Christians about being holistic, we're talking about integration between the empirical, with the physical world, and the spiritual. Not the supernatural. For us, God is conformed to all of the principles and practices and the exalted status that is talked about him in the Bible. All right? Let's move on. Is there a hopelessness then if it's outside their control or does that vary? Initially it will be hopelessness, but then they'll find a way. They'll find a way of something that can work in that. So you go to a village and they'll tell you, no, this this a viral disease, oh, that's, uh, this goddess handles that. So when you, when you are actually approaching them to deal with an area of vulnerability, you are challenging a belief. And you cannot overcome that just walking in one day and preaching to them and distributing tracts. It needs engagement. It needs on-the-ground presence. Okay? All right. Right, right. And, and when, when they go to the witch doctor, he has to find a solution, okay? All of us, we want to know who did it and did we catch that person? And did we deal with that person? Whether it was Casey Anthony or whoever, okay? Why, why was the whole country gripped with that for three days, five days, waiting to see if she was punished or not? Or doctor, what's his name? The guy who, Dr. Murray. So you want closure on it. Did we find the criminal? Did we book the criminal? 
forget about trying did we deal with the krimna and that's what it is so when when there's something that cannot be handled the witch doctor's perfect solution is somebody cast a spell on you so you pay me the right amount and i will reverse that and then you're paying 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 all the time okay now uh, the god of spirit or deity who deals with that area of vulnerability goes through a probation period okay starting with just a sacred symbol if it works the next year then a sacred spot if it works the next year an altar if it works the next year a place with a covering and it continues to work even a temple and it continues to work then the temple gets a compound wall okay in most cases you're going to people at that stage and you're telling them to discard that because it does not exist okay so uh just just remember that all right okay let's move on uh there are a couple of assumptions about this area of uh, vulnerability which is outside of their control first is that that deity by default will do damage left to itself it will create some mischief so you need to be you need to satisfy it by or appease it by giving some sacrifice or giving it some you know keeping it happy <coughs> number 3 it should be disturbed or accessed only during times of need number 4 allegiance to this deity is first individual then coupled with the family and then the whole community so you can't break it so easily if you break your allegiance the family will be ostracized if the family doesn't want to be ostracized the family will break connections with you okay and this is why it's a sort of a built-in protective mechanism from people becoming christians because as soon as you do that you stand alone my grandfather was a hindu priest and when he came to the lord and he wanted to get get baptized he belonged to a community that could trace their ancestors 2000 years back and i said what did we lack in giving you that you have turned to this foreign god my grandfather did a study to see you know about uh baptism because my his his father my great granddad told him if you go and get baptized i'll cut you off they so got baptized and that meant this was a business community they couldn't afford to be ostracized from the rest of the community because that's where their income came so they threatened him they took all his belongings burnt it at the fire as a, at the funeral fire which was by the side of the river they all the men shaved their head they came back my great granddad thought and said also before the 13 days of mourning are over he will return because he will know what it's going to cost him my grandpa didn't he went and joined bible college and became a missionary for the society for the propagation of the gospel and because of that generations after him 
have been freed. But that's what it cost him. And so they had to do that cutting off so that no one else would do it, A. B, they wanted to continue to do business. So the allegiance had to be broken if a self-family and community, they had to break it here. Okay? Are you guys still with me? Okay. So if the community is already holistically integrated, what is the difference between them and believers in Christ, whom we also say are holistically integrated? What's the difference? The supernatural, as far as they're concerned, empirical and supernatural, the supernatural is anything supernatural. And what it does is it enslaves. But the spiritual is of God. It liberates and it transforms. I have come that you may have life and that more abundantly. Jesus said, you will know the, the truth and the truth will set you free. I am the way, the truth and the life. Okay? So that's the difference. When the sun liberates, we are holistically integrated and empirically we are saved and spiritually we are saved. Okay? Okay, just a quick aside. We are called to be witnesses. So when you're working in the community and you're responding to the needs of the community, people will ask you questions. What about this? Why do you do it? What is that? Then respond and respond as much as possible using actual words from scriptures. Because my word will not return to me void. That's what God says. Okay? So it's powerful. Now, interestingly, what does a witness do? Talks when questioned, does not speak unless asked, answers what she or he was asked, does not give recommendations, bears witness of what they know to be the truth. Can you imagine someone walk into a court and say, Your Honor, I think that person is guilty and you should do you should punish them with six months imprisonment. What will happen to you? Just walk into a court unannounced and just make these statements. What would happen? You'll be thrown out. What will the charge be? Contempt of court. Why do we forget that when we go and witness to people completely jarring into what they're doing without understanding their work? We do that and then wonder why it got thrown back at us or why it wasn't successful. Let me leave you with this final quote. Transformation is progressive, permanent development to full potential. That's what God wants to do with each one of us. He wants to take us and develop us to our full potential. And that's why Paul said, and therefore, I labor hard till I see Christ formed in you. That we might grow to the fullness of the stature of Christ. Okay, that's, that's development to full potential. I use this in China because I couldn't use the original, which was transformation is progressive, permanent 
God intended change. But I found that this means the same thing. Development to full potential. And that's what God's intention is for each one of those villages where we work. I think I have one more slide. Okay. Additional information is available here. This is the website. Uh, Some of it, like I mentioned earlier, is downloadable straight away. Some you might have to write to me and ask for the password. I'll send it to you. I just want to make sure that it goes to the right people so I didn't put it out for all open stuff there. All right. I'm finished. Let's have time for questions. Yes. Okay. Now, this works very easily in, an, in a rural area, but it works as well in an urban community. But an urban community is not just the people staying in one place. Because sometimes the community is some staying here but working here. So you have to identify and separate out the communities according to their point of interest. And then the rest is the same. Yes, yes. We need don't give them the parameters. No, we don't. We just say group more seeds for one that is more important, less seeds for that which is less important. And then when we when they're placed it, we what what we do is called interviewing the diagram. We don't look them in the face and talk, but we say why why did you put this? And they explain it. And very, very clear reasons that they have. Ever increase the number 10 or do you make sure it's limited? We, we, the, the seed 10 is, is important because what you're looking at is you, you're taking the principle of optional ignorance. We're choosing not to focus initially on the smaller problems. We want to deal with the bigger problems because you've got to establish your credibility with this community. When they start seeing results, they'll come to you for everything. What else can we deal with? How can we sort this out? So don't push your priorities on them in the beginning. Because you'll be dying to teach them about HIV, AIDS, and other things. But get to it when, it when it starts. This is just at the very beginning of the project. And we have lots of examples of, and then you could see that. That's how the worldview analysis looks. And write to me. Uh, I can give you my email. Uh, my email address is there at the bottom. So you can... And those of you who need cards can get cards from me. Sorry. Yes, please. How would you compare this with others? I'm familiar with Don Richardson. He wrote among others like eternity in their hearts. He the passage in Ecclesiastes. And he has been at work. And that's what Paul talks about in Romans also. He says that nature itself is a professing to them that there is a God. Now, their minds are so contorted, they would interpret that as something else. So sometimes they need the person to point to them. The eternity that you have in your heart 
is the eternity that I talk about. Like Paul said about, you know, I went around your place and I saw, you know, temples to all gods, including one to the unknown god. Of him I speak. So, so it might be also that God put this in their heart. We may not understand it, so part of it is we're coming into this, this model to figure out how God is, the particular issues they're facing, how God is preparing them. And, and they, they, come, they come alive when you begin to work. So not only the community's own resource persons, we look among the community's own resource persons for a leader. We call that person a community hero because we have a program that's related to community heroes. Uh, someone who stands out and can take leadership. It may be the chief, it may be somebody else, could be a teacher, it could just be another woman in the community. It could be anybody. And then we allow that person to be raised. And then we step back. So we begin to facilitate and let that person increase. And that's, that's the ironic part of development, you know. When we work with God, in God's vineyard, it's not my plans but yours. When we go to the community, it's not my plans but yours. Yes. Good, good question. Uh, when, when we used, we used to, a lot of these tools are PRA, PLA tools. And I used to work with World Vision and large teams. And I, I needed something that's easier for everyone to use, whether the person is an engineer or a doctor or a teacher by, by professional background. is not a social development specialist. So a lot of PRA, PLA tools can be used by any Social development specialist. But what about others? What about all of you? Without being a social development person, how can you go and be effective in your ministry? So I started working on using uh, a technique that would bring it down from first initially 100 seeds to 50, then 20, and then 10. So you're, they're forced to choose. So the 10 seeds, that's, that's why it works. If you've got three segments, you've got four, three, three, you change that and it changes the profile completely. So they're forced to listen and learn that. So it, it's a simple technique. I've simplified it as much as possible so that it's easy to use. But you could use any participatory tool. But sometimes you, you'll get that in the form of a narrative, their worldview. But here you get a snapshot picture of their worldview. And it's very clear to understand. So in Laos, when I worked in Laos, the only people I could use were government officials. So we did a worldview analysis using the government officials. But we could look at that picture and know exactly where they are open to. So the areas of vulnerability are the areas in which people seek God. Let me ask you a quick question. Have you lost anything in your life? Have you ever lost something? Okay. Now think of the thing that you lost and then you found it. Did that happen with anyone? Okay. I'll tell you an eternal truth here. You searched and you searched and you searched, but you only found it in the last place you searched. Why? Huh? Why? 
because you stop searching once you've found it. So in areas for their worldview, areas which are in their control and the control of somebody else, they do not seek external help. It's not an open window to understand God. Now do you see why countries like in Europe, you know, three weeks ago I was in Switzerland and the and the lady conductor was making a fuss about the train being two minutes late. And I told her, in my country, you might be 12, 24 hours late, and no one makes a fuss. You know, so that, that's a reality. They've got the whole thing in control. So what has happened? That outer circle is completely in their control. So they, they don't feel a need for God. Till something comes and moves their cheese. Or shake the world. And then there's suddenly everyone's going to church, everyone's talking spirituality. You know, and recently there have there been these bank scandals there. And they're now turning to Indian gurus. You'll be surprised at what's happening in Switzerland. Okay. All right. So if you have any further questions or you want a card or any reference, you can go ahead. Thank you.